Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris. On today's Tour Catch-Up, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. Carlos Alcaraz finds his mojo in Madrid. Shiontek and Sabalenka look good for another final showdown. And Simona Halep speaks out on her doping case. Chris, today is the 2nd of May and we are here to catch up on the week in tennis at Tennis Weekly HQ. It is the Madrid Open. We are at the quarterfinal stage. Well, actually, we're a little bit above the quarterfinal stage for the women. Um, we've got a few of the quarterfinals as well set for the men. Carlos Alcaraz seemingly is back to his best after a little blip in the first round against Rusevori. Sviontek and Sabalenka look like they have picking up where they left off in Stuttgart. And I'm not going to lie, Chris, I am loving the fact we potentially on the men's side might have two, not one, but two lucky losers in the quarterfinals. Daniel Altmaier from Germany is already there. Struff could also be there. I mean, it just shows, I feel, how open the Madrid Open actually is. I mean, throwing a qualifier in the quarterfinals <laughs> in the form of carrot serve, I mean... Mm. Could we get a repeat? I need to look at the draw to see this, but I do believe that Struff lost her carrot serve, so we could be having a repeat of the final round of qualifying as a match later in the tournament. So it's as open as it gets, Joel. From your perspective, what does that mean for you in terms of seeing lucky losers get to quarterfinals of the main draw proper of a Masters 1000 event? Are you all for it in terms of, oh, that's a great story? Or does that suggest to you, actually, the Madrid Open... There's been some better years. I mean, I did flag this last week. It was looking like mm. there could be some gaping holes in the draw. But I think it's always nice when um, you see a player that maybe couldn't qualify for the main draw getting a decent paycheck because, I mean, the top players are earning enough. So I think it answers that sort of question. And when it comes to finding places for these players to play, it's not always easy. So seeing um, seeing some of the slightly lower ranked players doing well is great. But I don't think we need two lucky losers and a qualifier making it mm. this far. That's too is many too stories much? for it to yeah, be a good it's story. Too much. It's a bit it's much. It's too much, yes. Well, we're going to be discussing that um, in the first half. We're going to be looking at all the action from the men's draw and the women's draw. We're going to be discussing as well Simona Halep's doping case. She's spoken out about that this week. Wimbledon have also released their spring statement and we're going to be reviewing our predictions. I'm not really looking forward to that, to be quite honest with you. We're going to be reviewing our predictions, getting into the the business end of uh, the Madrid Open. Sadly, Kim is not with us. Uh, She's on holiday at the moment in Belfast. Um, So it's just me and Chris for the reigns today. I mean, Chris, what... You know, Madrid Open aside, what have you eyed up this week that has kind of taken your interest in the tennis world? Well, you know, I'm the biggest fan of Serena Williams oh, there is. Oh, I didn't is. know that. I didn't know that. In case I haven't <laughs> mentioned it on the podcast, but I do just think that 
Even I am being tested here. She had me fooled. She was playing with us because <laughs> she was. only last week, I think I was mm. saying, are we eyeing up a return? There was a picture of her playing uh, the tennis racket. Hook, line, sinker. I know. And it said, just trying to stay fit here, holding a tennis racket. That was clearly a latergram. She's from the same Instagram school of thought yeah. as Kim. Latergram from April 1st, I feel. I, I mean, it could have been. Cause, I mean, I felt like uh, as silly as I did at April Fool's. But um, And then she posts that the three of them were invited to the Met Gala and debuts her baby bump on the, mm. on the steps of the Met. So have to say, um, absolutely thrilled for her because I do think for a lot of people who are big fans of her, I know it's almost like a, a uh, you feel a bit guilty being like, I want to see her play again, when really I think we want what's best for her. And I think this probably is what's best for her. Um, she's always wanted to start a family and have an, another child. And I think she had that great final push, a great final showing. And hopefully this is now a lovely path into kind of um, a second round of motherhood for her. So I think it's um, super nice news, but I do wish she didn't have to have the perfect sort of... Um, uh, the perfect sort of trick for us all, you know. We all bought it, and I was almost <laughs> booking a ticket to Eastbourne. Yeah, I know. It was, uh, yeah, it, I'm not gonna lie, it did uh, catch me by surprise when I saw the news come through. It came through here about kind of 1 a.m. when I was just about kind of going to sleep, and uh, yeah, I was a bit surprised. I thought she was having twins, Joel, yes. when it said the three of us, yeah. because on the group we shared a picture of just mm, Serena. Yes. Turns out the third person was her husband. Um, we can confirm just having one baby. But I mean, yeah, the Met Gala, yeah, it did happen. Tennis fans, uh, sorry, tennis stars were even. Berrettini was yes, there. Yes, Berrettini, Roger Federer, Guess of course. Guess if you go boss, I assume. Exactly. So, um, yeah, it was great to see um, all the tennis stars kind of getting involved. I mean, for me personally, what I have enjoyed outside uh, of the Madrid Open is today actually marks to me a very special day for a tennis event that happened not on the tour, but for me is perhaps one of, if not the greatest, exhibition match that has ever happened. It was the Battle of the Surfaces, Roger Federer versus Rafael Nadal on this day in 2007, 16 years ago. This was, I mean, for any of our listeners who don't know, this was just a, well, I guess a marketing campaign. We had one half of a court dressed as a grass court, one half of a court dressed as a clay court, and you had Nadal on a 72-match win streak on the clay, Federer on a 48-match win streak on the grass. And they did not hold back in this exhibition. It went to a final set tiebreak. Rafa won uh, 12-10 in that final set tiebreak. This, Chris, was just a fantastic match. I'm amazed it happened. Its legacy, I feel, has fully kind of come on in leaps and bounds since it happened. And I want to raise it because I'm thinking, if they did the Battle of the Surfaces again of the current generation who who would you have facing off on a on a grass and a clay court or would you even change up the surfaces that is a fantastic question well i i would have to say it's got to be a bit of carlos on the clay and then when it comes to to wimbledon i I guess maybe it's carlos and djokovic we've got Mm, going that might be the people of the now, I think the generational aspect might be particularly interesting in that as well, because obviously with Federer being a little bit more mature than Nadal, but I can't believe Joel, that was 16 years ago. That does make me feel particularly, um, particularly yeah. old. Cause I remember, I remember watching that and thinking that was epic. I also do remember that I think they probably had a deal that it was going to go to a final set tie break <laughs> with the score being seven, five, four, six, seven, six to 12, 10. 
I think they had to um, change shoes at heart, uh, you know, during the switchover because of um, the different surfaces. Um, they didn't change every three games, I don't think. I remember oh, okay. they didn't do that. Okay. I think it, maybe they did it by set potentially, <laughs> I want to say. It was very, very visually interesting, yeah. even if the tennis wasn't they the need highest to bring it quality back. from I want, both. I want Battle of the Surfaces 2. And maybe I'd go over to the women's side and I'd have Iga Sviontek on the clay versus... It's got to be Alicia Parks on the uh, the indoor hard courts, Chris, obviously. That's a great shout. The queen of the indoor <laughs> half, hard courts. Half roof open, half roof off. Yes, make it happen. I mean, that's a match I pay to see. <laughs> I know, I know. Right. Um, before we get into uh, the, the tennis and all the action that has, that has happened so far, I mean, a big... A big talk of talk of the town or talk of uh, of tennis fans at the moment is the fact that it is a two week tournament. Um, this is a new format. It's going to be the same format in Rome um, later on uh, this month. Um, how are you how are you finding it from like a, a fan's perspective? Given you know we started I think what last Wednesday proper in in the main draw. Uh, we're coming up to sort of the midway point. How are you finding it in terms of your experience of this this two week format? It's all been a bit odd, hasn't it? I think we've had um we had first rounds being played before qualifiers had finished at the start of the tournament, and it feels like if you don't have the same sort of um uh Grand Slam points and Grand Slam feel to it, that it doesn't really work mm. across the two weeks. I think we're all used to Indian Wells and Miami being kind of the one point five week situation. Um, sometimes that's kind of um. In itself, it can also be a little bit on the slow side, especially back to back. And I think I understand what they're trying to do by emulating almost sort of that sunshine double on the clay. Um, but it does feel like we aren't getting sort of that jam-packed schedule that is sometimes so enjoyable about this. And I went to Rome last year and I think I'm so pleased that I did because this year, two weeks, you would not get the same level of action because... Yeah, you're running around and you're trying to see all these matches and it's it's just such an exciting mm. event for fans because on those outside courts, you do have fantastic matches. So I do think when this happens, it is probably more of a financial decision for the tournament, which I understand than it is for kind of a fan player experience perspective. Yeah, because I think, you know, the, the rationale was that, you know, these these big masters, master level events are money earners. So naturally they want to, extend those events to as long as possible but and I can see also from a player perspective you know it doesn't feel too rushed in theory it might also I think you know be uh, advantageous from t- tournament organizers for, for these top players to play both Madrid and Rome because they're not so kind of dense and, and compacted in um, together but yeah from the fan perspective I've got to say like it just takes a bit too long to get going and when you've got kind of the top players having a bye in the first round, it doesn't really feel like there's much going on, you know, in those first opening rounds. And when you watch it on the TV, I don't think the spectators are really buying it into it either, given you know the amount of number of, of empty seats, particularly, I think, you know, in those opening days. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not quite sure about it. And, uh, you know, we, we did put a we did put a poll out on our, on our social media to ask if it if it wasn't just us and whether our kind of community um, of followers was uh, feeling it as well. And Chris, at the moment in the vote, 53 percent. Uh, say no uh, they're not a fan of the two-week format Um, but it's been interesting because there's been kind of definitely some kind of strong opinions from either side 
Yeah, I think um, I'm just pleased that finally a Twitter poll's agreed with us, Joel. <laughs> um, imagine if we just said our opinions mm. and it came back 53% of people like it. Um, but no, I think it's been interesting. We also asked the question and we got some really, in- really interesting responses. Um, I think we had one from um, Mark G on Twitter who said that it's not quite there. The format takes a bit too long to get going and the first round, first round buys need to be yeah. abolished. Totally understand where he's coming from. And then we also had kind of on the flip side of things, uh, we had Michael Dickens on Twitter as well. He said that it's kind of nice from um, a pacing setting, so of the two-week format, but there seems to be kind of more opportunities for storylines to be created and explored. So obviously we've got the sort of the lucky losers that have come mm, through and he's also yeah. referring to Mira and Dreva. So I think there's something that's nice about the fact that it does give some of those other players and other storylines a bit more um, kind of column inches so we're people are divided but it seems like overall um we're saying that we're not quite sure about this format just yet yeah it seems to be quite divided at the moment but um yeah we're gonna see how it goes i wonder if people's interpretations and experience of it will change when it comes to to rome i feel like you know it's still quite fresh and quite new and we'll get an understanding i think more um than it comes on but it certainly to me feels it feels different to indian wells and, and miami when that feels more natural than kind of these two clay events. And the popularity of those tournaments is is very, very yeah. big. And I'm not sure these two quite have the mm. same. And I think um, that would be something that'll be interesting to see. So if you have been to Madrid, please do get in contact with us and tell us what, what it was like as a fan. We'd love to get the inside scoop as well, rather than kind of just our, our sort of opinions here. Yes. And moving on to the action, uh, we're going to talk about the Madrid men's tournament. First of all, we've got five of our quarterfinalists set. Alcaraz is through, uh, came through very convincingly today against Verev. Catching off with an upset somewhat over Andre Rublev. Altmaier, the lucky loser, is through against Jaume Munar. Uh, and Chorich defeated Davidovich Fikina in a really long three-setter. Um, and then in the bottom half, we had Karatsev come through another all-Russian affair with Daniel Medvedev. To come, we've got Zapata Morales versus Sissipas. Struth Kashin and I think Fritz and Zhang are on the court at the moment. I mean, Chris, what has intrigued you? What has impressed you so far this week in the men's tournament? Well, I really enjoyed Rusevori Alcaraz. I thought that that was really, really interesting from a perspective of one, seeing Rusevori play that well um, and also seeing the way that Alcaraz handled the challenge. Um, the hitting was huge. Um, I was so impressed with uh, the first sort of um, at least the first hour and, a, hour and a half of that one. I think that was really, really competitive. And I think the tournament needed that to get going, um, kind of based on what we've, t- we've spoken about previously. I think Alcaraz's serve continues to really impress me. Um, I think the scoreline, um, when you look at the the match with um, Zverev, I mean, it is, it's quite a punchy scoreline. I was having a quick look at this and um, what was kind of the keys of the match and uh, what is worrying from a, a Zverev perspective is that he actually made 78% of first serves. Um, and so I think Alcaraz is, is kind of known for kind of being great on the return, but Alcaraz was also making 76% of serves and winning 87% of them. So I think from the perspective of of those numbers, I mean, it was a dominant display both on serve and on return. And um, uh, Sasha had zero break points and it's actually almost a mirror image of their match they played a year ago. Um, where it was pretty much the same exact same story in terms of 
Um, the serving being really impressive from Carlos and zero break points face. And that was a 6-3-6-1 result. But in between that, we did have a French Open upset um, of the run of form where Zverev did take that in the quarterfinal. So there's still hope for Zverev fans. But it did seem like that match was um, really laying down a marker. And I think he really has cemented his, his position as the favourite for Roland Garros. Yeah, I agree. I think today's victory over Zverev was a real statement win, uh, particularly given you know the conditions in Madrid really do favour Zverev. We've seen him play very, very well here before. And yeah, for him to, Alcaraz to come through. I mean, you spoke about the the serve. Do you feel like the serve is the one, one of the, the shots that has improved the most since last season? I mean, I, I feel like going back to last season, a lot of Alcaraz wins were in three sets. And that was due to kind of the vulnerabilities, I feel, on his serve. But kind of just seeing particularly those stats, I think, against um, Zverev, you didn't really give Zverev um, a look in. And uh, to me, his serve has been so much stronger. And it's one of the reasons why I think he is going to be going in to Roland Garros as one of the favourites, if not the favourite. I mean, I completely agree. I think it's definitely a case that his serve, it's almost like since he came back, his serve has Mm. been more impressive. I think it might be something he's been working on because of the nature of maybe his injury. He's been doing a lot of strength in that area. Um, but no, all the numbers from all of his matches, I mean, he out-aced Alexander mm. Zverev, which is something that you wouldn't no. think you'd be saying. Um, five aces to three. Um, and it does kind of beg the question kind of from the opposition side of things that the bit of your game you're able to control is your serve. And um, Zverev's not getting it done, just winning 11% of points on second serve. So I think it's a case that he is kind of developing in all aspects of his game. And I think it shows that in Madrid... Um, as you say, a, a situation where he has won before, but it has been a lot tougher. He's actually coming through quite quite easily um, on a surface that does favour the bigger servers. So very, very impressive. And I do think that it's going to be a tough ask, uh, especially over five sets to, to take him out before um, kind of picking up what could be a second Grand Slam title. I mean, another three-set match uh, that did happen today was Borna Chorich versus Davidovich Fikina. Now, I want to talk about Davidovich Fikina because he seems to me having... He he has these kind of these special runs, I feel, specifically to Masters events. Um, You know, he had that amazing run in, in Monte Carlo last year. He's had a great run at Indian Wells. And he had a great run here with a very controversial but really fantastic victory for him um, over one of your favorites Holger Rune this for me was this match to me almost had it all I think one of personally for me one of the matches of the season it went late had a dramatic finish had the Holger Rune interactions shall I say um, with the crowd what did you make of this match specifically because I feel like first of all with Fakina he's such a frustrating player to watch I think in 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 some senses given He's got incredible shot making in him, but he's, he really feels like he lacks the consistency that he can do it across like the whole season. And he's still kind of pigeonholed into almost like an, a clay event specialist when I feel like he should be doing much, much more. Yeah, I think that's um, it's definitely the case where he does tend to produce his standout results on the clay. He's a frustrating player in the sense that he is the may- maybe man. I think he's one of those where, you know, he's 23. I think we've, we did think that potentially he would have pushed a little bit further forward in the sense of he has been um, and he has shown a level of tennis that would put him kind of top 10. And we did think maybe he would push on 
Um, and he, he has those results that could have changed his entire career, I think. You know, he's had the match points against Rublev. He had match points against Medvedev the year before in Dubai. He does get himself in these situations. And having just won on a final set tiebreak, he's mm. just lost in a final yeah. set tiebreak today. So it's definitely a case where um, when it comes down to those clutch moments, I do think the top players do know that he's probably not going to make the best decisions when it comes to sh- uh, shot selection. I totally, totally see that. I mean, he does, I feel, thrive on the energy of the crowd. And I think another player who does that was his opponent, Holger Runa. Now, there was a lot of, as I say, there was a lot of hoo-ha going on uh, during this match. We know the Spanish crowd, we've seen it this week. I think it's actually been a little bit too much at times, uh, particularly in this match. Like, Holger Runa was serving just faults on the first serve and there was boos and whistles from the the crowd. I mean, this all kind of stemmed from a Mark Runa kind of inspecting it. Crowd did not like it. The umpire, Carlos Bernardes, was kind of just talking to Runa about just basically saying stop antagonizing and irrit- irritating the, the crowd because then, you know, they're going to do what they're going to do. Runa afterwards came out on Instagram story Instagram stories even to talk about the match and being like I appreciate the crowd um you just wish that there was better communication between the umpire and and the audience what do you make of this in this kind of long line I feel of interactions of Kohl versus the the crowd at a tennis match yeah I do think I'm getting a little bit tired of some of this now I think when he is such a good tennis player He's a fantastic tennis player and I think he talked about the fact that he is almost kind of uh, pulls apart his personality on the court and off the court because off the court, um, spoke to him multiple times in press, he's super, super lovely, super, super nice guy, always takes the time with people, very, very good at answering questions and very patient and I think um, he's very fiery on the court which is fine but I do think that we do need to kind of stop kind of uh, throwing kind of fuel on the fire when it comes to this. I think... Um, he did nothing wrong, really, in this incident. I think maybe his reaction to the crowd after he rubbed out the mark. But the point is, when it's electronic line calls, the mark doesn't matter. So um, I think that is the crux of the issue with this one. But I also think when you play against someone in their home country, you're going to have an... In- the crowd aren't going to be with you. No. It's going to be an interesting one. And so I think partly, I mean, use that and thrive from it rather than have to end up being on Instagram stories saying you hold nothing against the Spanish people because why would you? Of course they want their man to go through. So it feels like a little bit too much was made about just a pretty standard situation where everyone's rooting for your opponent and that's how it's going to be. So if you give any sort of reason for them to really get um get on your goat then they will so and that's what happened yeah. he he is box office so i feel it, as i said you're always gonna have he loves he it. loves it yeah he, he does wants, i think he wants to throw fuel on the fire personally and i think this time he probably to me he threw too much fuel on particularly with an audience like that but i think there are going to be other kind of more sedate audiences like it you know in in, in, when it comes to british events in the grass that i think is really gonna kind of liven up the crowd actually and you know his shot making on the court it, it speaks for itself and um yeah i still think there's a little worry in terms of he's had a lot of close matches that he's just ended in in defeat on and it's again this was another kind of situation i mean another match that went to a final set tie break uh, was dominic team versus stefanos sissipas now i want to raise this one chris because i know dominic team lost this but i felt like he had 
the best match that he has had since this long-standing injury kind of comeback. It was impressive to me how close Dominic Team got to defeating Stefanos Sissipas on a clay court. Yes, it's obviously a result you can take encouragement from. I mean, he is still 6-11 for the year. <laughs> Here um, we go. To be the bearer of the bad news there, I think. I mean, we've seen this so many times when top players um, are playing against players who are ranked below them. You know, it's when people bring out their best mm. tennis, when there's no pressure on team. Um, the positive is that he hasn't really tested a top player in the same way that he has like a, a top, top player. I'm talking top five um, and like a former sort of top three player. I think it's, it is a really good result. Um, I think it will show to him that he can still play the, the tennis that he needs to. But I would probably argue um, that kind of what was more impressive was that when Stefanos was behind, he made 39 successive first serves from 5-2 down yeah, in the first set, which was um, unreal. And so I think... Um, that is something where it just shows like a bit of a champion's response to to being in a situation where you are down, but encouraging signs for team. Mm. But I would very much like him to build on this. And we've seen him not build on positive results since he has come back. So fingers crossed, team is back. But I do have to say, I can't get too excited <laughs> just yet. Fingers crossed, fingers crossed indeed. I will say, I watched the, the final set tiebreak. There's, there's a part of me that does wonder if he... He is at this point where he he wants it so badly that it lends itself to forced errors, particularly from this forehand in that match. They were going long and it just felt like he was putting too much into it because he was like, I'm so desperate to get over the line. the temperament that he sometimes loses and he forces over over pushes. I do think that is definitely something that, that you do see from him a little bit more. I think... Even in practice, I've seen some clips where he's getting a bit frustrated with the fact that his level just Mm -hmm. isn't quite there or he's missing shots that he wouldn't normally. But, you know, when you play in these sort of close matches, it's when you kind of get that experience again and you get that taste for the competition. And and when you're competing at your highest level, I mean, when is it? When was the last time you played this this well and against such a great player? So um, it's also a good match for Sitsipas to win. You know, he hasn't had the best results coming out of Australia. So... I think it's um it's pretty pretty important for both uh, both of them to to put in a good performance and for sit to pass I think he needs to get um a good result at a Masters. I yes I, I agree and I mean looking at the the women's side, the top players there I think have generally had a more a smoother I think uh, route passage through the draw. There's still some surprise names making the quarterfinals. We already have. One of our semi-finalists, Arena Sabalenka, won today against Maya Sharif uh, in three sets, which we're going to get onto in a sec. But we've also got in that bottom half, Sakari versus Begu of Romania. Now, that is interesting because I think Begu is now going above Simona Halep um, as the Romanian uh, women's number one, which has not changed uh, in a very, very long time. We've got Pagula as well against Kudometova and at the top, Igor Sviontek versus Petra Martic. Now we're going to start, Chris, with what happened today. Sabalenka Sharif, because Sharif, I feel like you've got a bone to pick with Sharif because she is a, she's not necessarily a WTA tour specialist, is it? Which makes this result and this run all the more surprising I feel 
I I may have thrown in a comment <laughs> or two about the fact that she she is definitely the queen of the one two fives and the ITF circuit. I I maybe have done that, especially in the second week of a slam. She is partial to picking up a title or reaching a final. She's obviously won a singles title in the WTA tour before, um, but she is again. This is a, it is a surprising result. It's a great result for her. The conditions in Madrid are a little bit different. Um, I think we do know that does lend itself to the upset and some players really don't find it favourable for them. A bit of a Guadalajara in that sort of respect where um, the ball does definitely fly differently. Um, but I mean... She was on a losing streak though. From- she, I think she had lost her last yeah. four matches four. in a row. 7-10 for the year. Yeah, she really hasn't had any form this year. And then she goes and beats and- Caroline Garcia. Kalanina. Some really good results. And the thing that is a bit concerning... Um, from that sort of whole kind of um, kind of run that she's had is for Caroline Garcia, mm. who actually beat her earlier this year. Um, I think that match was in Monterey. It was um, love and four. And then she went down to her in straight sets in Madrid. And I think that's something that is qu- quite shocking because... Are you, worried for, are you um, worried for Caroline Garcia? I mean, we're obviously heading to the French Open, her own, her home Grand Slam. I thought she played fantastic when we saw her live um, in Coventry. Granted, against players not necessarily at WTA tour level are there some warning signs there for you um I think that she hasn't had the year that you'd expect coming off sort of the result um at the WTA finals I do think that that does make um that does make sense a lot of players do find it difficult to back up the results um but I do think that the nature of the way that she plays is if she has the she has to believe in her shots um and uh what she said on on uh kind of twitter um what was reported on twitter is what she said was that um since the beginning of the year she kind of gets angry and frustrated too quickly um and after that it's kind of even worse she feels that she gives too much um kind of away in that sense it's like it's on her and it's just to get back to work and it's very much the mental side of things because we know that she can play unbelievable tennis and in moments of clutch moments like what we saw at the, the Billie Jean King Cup, she mm. really did. So I think that's something where she's got a great serve, but she will be very much um, in in trouble if she does start missing some of those shots and starts questioning or getting down on herself. So seems like she's very self-aware and I, I do think that this she will definitely be a blip, but hopefully she'll be very much um, in contention towards some of the the slams towards the, uh, the end of the year. Yeah, I think all Garcia fans were hoping it's a blip. I mean, one breakout story. I mean, we're talking about players given the two-week format and we're seeing new stories, new players come into our attention. 16-year-old Mira Andriva has had a fantastic uh, few weeks, I feel, in, in Madrid. Um, she did lose to, to Sabalenka in, what was that? I think in the, in the third round, but she had a... Gr- the fourth In the round. fourth round, sorry. But, um, I mean, she had... She she had she's been playing some fantastic fantastic tennis. Had a very good win against Magda Lynette in in straight sets. Defeated Leila Fernandez um, in in the first round as well. Um, I mean, she has become the third youngest player to win a main draw match at a WTA 1000 tournament. What do you make of a player kind of breaking on? to the tour so early. I think we've had a few of these instances. I'm already thinking about kind of like Linda Frivertova, um, particularly because of the two sisters, Linda and Brenda Frivertova. Andriva also has a sister, Erica. I mean, what did you make of Andriva's uh, performances this week in Madrid? 
Well, I think it's the perfect example of, you know, a player that's been given a wild card and has made the most mm. of it. I think it's very hard to know where your level is when you don't necessarily play on the tour in these big tournaments. Um, and you're 15. So you had a birthday during the tournament. So I think it's hugely impressive. And I think for me, the thing that stands out more than anything is the nature of the players that she's beaten and not players that give you a win. They make you earn it. And I think Fernandez is someone who fights for every single point and will not want to lose to someone younger than her. That is for sure. Um, Haddad Maya is a competitor of the absolute sort of fiercest qualities when it comes to competing for every point. Mm. And then Lynette, I mean, she's been grinding out some in- incredible wins when she has been playing her best tennis. I think the result against Azarenka um, early in the year was kind of testament to that. So kind of not losing a set against those three players. I mean, I would definitely have bet against it. Um, but coming into this, t- this tournament, she was played qualifiers for two ITF um for two ITF uh, tournaments. And um, so she's on a, a winning streak coming in. I mean, she'd won seven matches in one ITF going through qualifying, beating um, former French Open semi-finalists or quarter, no, semi-finalists, I want to say Podoroska. And then um, also then uh, coming through the next week um, against Fiona Ferrer in the final of another um, ITF event. So she had the form coming in. It's just great to see that when... Um, when it came to the bigger tournament, she was able to step up because um, it's a great story for the tournament. I was watching some of the match against Sabalenka and um, although it was a straight set to V, I felt like she walked on with a little bit of a swagger. There was a little bit of, of confidence. She felt like she belonged. And I don't think she was kind of phased uh, really by someone like a Sab- Sabalenka, who obviously is a very intimidating player, um, you know, across from the net. So that was what I think impressed me particularly in the in the first set I know it sort of kind of fell away from her but um yeah it's impressive to see the breakout story happen we'll have to wait and see where it goes next and whether you know if I'm a tournament organizer I'd love to give her a, a wild card um to see you know to see what she can do but um I like that also Rome I'd love to see her yeah. in Rome and I love the fact that she's also an Andy Murray fan um so uh you know she's uh she's got some good role models <laughs> She called him beautiful when she saw him in the lunch hall. It felt more of a crush necessarily than a role model. Yeah, I mean, she's lucky that she saw him given how quickly he exited the tournament. (laughs) So maybe she'll have to get more of a glimpse in Rome if he chooses to play there. I mean, we spoke about the fact that Andriva defeated uh, Leila Fernandez um, in the first round. Of course, US Open finalist lost to Emma Raducanu. Now, Raducanu withdrew from uh, Madrid. She did not play a match but Chris we've got to talk about the interview that happened I think on media day 16 questions 58 words it was a very bizarre tense press conference she was not giving a lot away the mediator had to to kind of step in and kind of cull it very very short I think after just kind of three minutes what do you make of this given the fact that she pulled out the fact that we saw her response in press what did you make of it? I'm very glad we're talking about this because I do think that people do need to think about this from much more of a balanced perspective. I think Twitter's like, oh, Radicanu really stuck it to the British media. Um, And then the other side of it is that kind of the media saying that she's kind of not being respectful or saying that she's obviously very tense and she's no longer sort of easy, breezy and carefree. And I think the reality of it is that she probably played Stuttgart knowing that she prob- she wasn't fully fit. Um, and in that match, I think 
it was quite clear that she probably wasn't playing her best tennis. That we did speak about that um, on the podcast. And obviously, Ostapenko played brilliantly, and she didn't want to talk too much about her wrist. Um, and then that was probably probably sponsorship related her participation and then she's hoping to play in Madrid and put some good form together and she probably knew before the press conference it was highly likely she wouldn't be playing so rather than mislead the press I honestly believe that she was just trying to limit what she said so that then it wouldn't be that people printed a story that was completely you know untrue or completely the opposite because if she had have said well I'm not sure if I'm going to be playing well that would have gone down even worse so I think the bits that I saw shared and the fact that it was 16 questions and 58 words and they're kind of going for her. I mean, they did say, how's it going? And she said, good, how are you? She talked about her physical state and then they asked her about Jodie Burridge. And I think some of the media reporters have said, oh, we asked her about a friend. We thought she'd give us some more of an answer. But we all know they're asking because Emma Raducanu might not be the British number one come Monday. Um, so I, I, I do think there's always... Um, an edge when it comes to these press conferences. They're all looking for a negative story about Emma. Bear in mind, she is obviously um, a 20-year-old who's had great success, who isn't doing as well as she was before. And um, she hasn't, and people are really, they're looking to, to write a story that isn't particularly favourable. So she's not looking to do anything beyond answer the questions that she's been asked in a simple way that doesn't mislead. And I think people need to cut her a break, really, because... Um, it's obvious there were other things that were at work. And I think we all realised that the next day when she she pulled out of Madrid that everything is not right with her wrist. Yeah, it's hard not to feel, I think, a little bit sad, I feel, for Raducanu at the moment. And I wonder if not being the British number one uh, will take the edge off things. Because um, it feels to me at the moment, inevitably, Jodie Burridge uh, is going to become ladies number one. I think she is... Uh, got Greet Minnan in her next match and if she wins that I think she then overtakes Raducanu so um, yeah but it's not great to hear I think Raducanu particularly in terms of her wrists and you know what to do with that those are not quick I feel fixes to solve and you've got the British grass court season coming up we all know her kind of sponsorship deals before we move on is there a feeling of cut losses now on the clay season and, and try and get ready for the grass or do you think she should try and persevere through? I think it's something where clearly the injury can't be managed. Um, it is something that is recurring. It is something that does flare up. And I think because of that, I think it has to be a different way of looking mm. at how you manage that. And life on tour might not be the best way to manage it. You might have to take a period of time off in order to kind of rehab the injury properly. Um, obviously, she had wrist issues throughout sort of the, the US um, swing we just had and the Sunshine Double, but she played some fantastic tennis. So... Um, I mean, she really can't catch a break and I'm not, I'm not worried about her in terms of what will happen. I think she's a fantastic player. I think she's got a very mature head on her shoulders. Um, but I do think that the injury obviously cannot be managed and it must be very frustrating for her that another season is happening and she's yeah. not able to to play the tennis that she knows she can play. And and I, I will say as well, like it's it's not like this is an isolated incident of a player bursting onto the scenes at a young age and then finding, you know, having this sort of transition period because another player who I feel broke on broke onto the scene at a young age, Coco Goff, she's going through her uh, trials and tribulations at the moment. Big microscope, I feel, particularly on her, her forehand. I mean, Chris, she lost to Paula Badosa six, was it six, three, 
Six love. Six love. Uh, but also, look, is a, is a fantastic player. He's been growing great ball at the moment. But these results for Coco Goff, it feels like her season or this point in her career, I think naturally we all felt she was just going to be on this infinitely constant upward trajectory. It feels like it's stalling at the moment. Yeah, it does. I think uh, it's a case where there's definitely technical issues. Um, and I think we, if you don't have the belief in your shot, then you're going to miss more of your shot or you're not mm. going to hit it as hard as you should. It's going to fall short and players are going to take advantage of it. And I think the fact that um, Goff is doing so well in the doubles court and not necessarily doing as well on the singles court shows that she does need that kind of extra bit of confidence from a partner like Jesse Pagula at the moment. So I think it is sad when you see someone like Goff lose a six love set. I think she's had a great clay season last year. She's got a great serve when it's on. Second serve can be a little bit mm. a little bit off at times. Um, do you think the doubles is a distraction? I think it's not necessarily a distraction, but I do think that it will start to make things a little bit more concerning for her. The fact that she can play so well in doubles, but not play as well on the singles court. Um, when she is obviously out there kind of by herself. Um, I think hopefully, you know, that she's still got some time to play herself into the clay court season. But I mean, it's not like, for example, that Paola Badosa has been playing 10 out of 10 tennis recently. I think she's obviously a player who has been as high as number two. Um, she did have a really tough match in her first round. So I don't think any of us were expecting that scoreline. Obviously, she's now gone out to Sakari 6-4, 6-4 in a relatively competitive um, straight sets lost so um, I do think that it's probably cause for concern for Goff but I mean it's not like she's not getting time on the court and it's not like she can't kind of pull it together but she'll be hoping to definitely reverse this result in Rome and just a quick word on Maria Sacri before we go to uh, an ad break because um, <laughs> I feel like we speak about her and her semi-final hoodoo I watched some of that match against uh, Badossa. Now, I know you've just said Badossa's not been playing 10 out of 10 tennis recently. I certainly think she's been playing eight, eight, eight and a half out of 10 uh, tennis. And that was an impressive win for me. 8.25. Yeah, exactly. Um, I thought that was an impressive win for Zachary. Could Madrid, could Madrid maybe be the tournament where it comes together for her? Because for me, that win against Badossa signified to me it's purely mental what is going on in her head because when she steps out on the court and is able to play the tennis that we know that she can play at that level she is a force to be reckoned with yeah it's a bit of a recurring theme at the moment we've seen Garcia getting a bit down on herself too early she said Sakari has a habit of doing that mm. um you know too frequently turning to her box and at the moment she's in a tie break in the first set against Begu and that is um She's had eight break points taking three and Bega's taken three of three. So that's the perfect example <laughs> of a Maria Sicari match, I think, mm. in terms of a really battling um, encounter where maybe she doesn't take that first break point that she has. Um, but, you know, she's had good results in Madrid before. Um, but there are some players who are going to be really tough to beat, like Iga, Sabalenka, Pagud is playing well. I think it's, um, it would be a tough ask right now. All signs maybe point to another Sakari semi-final loss. We'll have to wait and see. I mean, Begu has been very playing very, very well this week. So 
quite a tough still quite a tough customer to get through in the quarterfinals we're going to be taking a quick break now but join us in the second half where we will be discussing Simona Halep and the delay surrounding her doping case the announcement that electronic line calling will be fully adopted by the ATP tour from 2025 and we're going to look ahead as well to the quarterfinals and beyond at the Madrid Open so do not go anywhere Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back to the Tennis Weekly Podcast, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to, well, Chris, I think we're going to move on to a mysterious player. You know, Chris, sorry, Kim is away this week. So we're going to we're gonna change things up, aren't we, with a little bit of a, a little bit of an MP? Well, I think it's about time since we've brought back mysterious player <laughs> that Joel gets put on the spot and put yes. to the test. The crowd, the, the listeners, they have been emailing us you know tens and thousands of them being bring back mysterious player yes they have tens of thousands of emails <laughs> flooding our inbox and i read every single one <laughs> so the nature of mysterious player for those who are not familiar is that i will reveal a number of clues um and then after each clue is revealed joel will be guessing which player mm. i am talking about um, previous iterations of this, we've had Johanna Conta, we've had Tommy Haas, and now Joel is ready to take Ooh. on our third edition. Um, how are you feeling, Joel? Well, I feel like it can't go any worse than uh, Path of the Courts did last week, and I'm almost kind of glad that I'm not facing, it's not a face-off between me and Kim, because I feel like my confidence is low, and I'd, be, I'd still okay. be losing that. So it's, you're playing against yourself, you're playing for your pride. And I have to say, listeners do play along to this one. So <laughs> they will tell yes. you if they got it before you. So I'd say maybe that's a fate worse mm. than losing to one of us at oh, half the, of the course. The pressure but is still there. Without further ado, we will kick off and we'll kick off in familiar fashion with a date of birth. I was born on the 4th of January in 1986. 1986. Um, bit of mental arithmetic yeah, there, Joel. Let's figure out. 06, 16, 26, uh, say 40, like, so they're like 36. So they could, oh, they could still be playing maybe towards the end of their career. Um, probably a very experienced player. Um, I know this is wrong. Martina Trevisan. 
Martina Trevisan is very much not 37. Um, but we love we love a, a generous guess. Um, the second clue, if you're ready, is that her career high is number 23 for singles and number one for doubles. Mm, number one doubles player. I'm going to say, I don't know, is it Elise Cornet? That is a good guess. She's not been number one in doubles. She has been as high as top 10 for singles, I believe. So not quite, not quite. Mm -hmm. And she's also not 37, just to flag that one. Um, Each clue builds, Joel. Okay. Um, Okay. Her career best Grand Slam singles result was the quarterfinals of the Australian Open in 2021. Having just come back to the tour, is it... Sue Sue Shay Sue Sue Sorry. Yes. Is that right? Indeed. Yes. yes. Come on. How many? Qu- that Come was after on. just three. That is. And things were not impressive. looking good when I said Martina Trevisan after my first guess, I right? Mean, Christina Madanovic. We were even more concerned <laughs> because I think she would have something to say if you thought she was uh, almost no. a decade older. Well, I was thinking. That is, I was thinking. It, it, it sounded like it could have been Barbora Krachi- uh, sorry, Barbora Krachisheva. Barbora Streetkova as well, who's uh, her partner, right? Uh, yes, they've both they've come back today. That was my sixth clue. Oh, I was going to say okay. I'm nicknamed the Wizard was going to come up. <laughs> and also, I won Wimbledon doubles in 2013, oh, 2019 and 2021. Who could forget? Yes. So, Very tricksy player. One who's made for highlights, I would say. And they're actually into the quarterfinals together Mm. um, of Madrid in their first tournament back, putting together some fantastic results already. So um, a very topical, mysterious player. And Kim will be thrilled (laughs) with your performance. I'm sure she'll be very impressed. That was a confidence boosting uh, win for me. I'm not going to I'm not going to lie. So, uh, yes. Um, Right. I enjoyed that. Um, Moving on to the Tennis Weekly mailbag. Uh, We had an email from Eleanor this week and it is to do with electronic line calling. So the question was, with the announcement that the ATP are going to be introducing electronic line calling tour-wide from 2025, does this for you signal the death of the line umpire? Now, Chris, I'm sure you're aware, listeners, perhaps not, the ATP have announced this week that, um, yes, from 2025, we're not going to be seeing line umpires on any type of of tennis court, from what I understand, including clay. What do you make of this, Chris? The fact that, you know, we've grown up, I feel, with, with line umpires, seeing line umpires on TV. And when it comes to ATP tour events uh, from a few years' time, they, they are just not going to be there. I mean... Why is it taking so long is, is what I would say to this, because if you have the technology, why would you not put it to use? I obviously understand that for some tournaments, there's a financial burden that would be too great. But I mean, for some of these big tournaments, why are we still relying on human error? Um, when there's some really big sort of things on the line here from a prize money perspective, from a ranking perspective. Um, and I think you don't have to have these sort of... Um, uh, issues we've talked about you know when it comes to um but do you not love the drama of, of it the whole... do you not love the drama of I, it I, 
to be honest, I, I don't really. I think it, that was too much for the fans and not enough for the players in terms of that because I think running out of challenges and they've seen a call they know is wrong. No one wants to see someone in that position. And I think it gives people a lot more confidence and uh, in in the decision-making if it is all electronic. And if it had have been, then we wouldn't have had the incident with Holger Rune this week because um, everyone would know that it's electric line calling and that it's not about the mark. So I think it's good that there's going to be a consistency across the tour. Um, but Joel, we did learn, we did learn at, um, in Coventry at the Billie Jean King Cup that you do have to have mm. backup line judges <laughs> just in case the t- technology so fails. So the line umpiring is still going to be there, but they're just going to be backup to robots. They're going to have a lovely backup seat. To r- robots. <laughs> oh, lovely seat watching the tennis, just not having to, you know, bend over and make loud calls. Yeah. I don't know. I disagree. I think to me, unfortunately, this does signal almost, yeah, as, as, as kind of our listener said, the, the death of, of line umpiring. But I'm sad to see it. I think it's been become more like a, a tradition. I think we're going to see it still, I think, at, at Grand Slams. I, can't, I just can't imagine Wimbledon getting rid of of line umpiring altogether. Um, I think it's going to become something we still see, but not necessarily on the tour. And I, I'm not going to lie, I enjoy the drama of challenges. It adds a new element. It brings the crowd into it. I get that it's something maybe players don't necessarily want to think about or have on top of playing um, a tennis match. But I think from the fan engagement perspective, um, I think it just heightens heightens the drama. And I think we're still going to get controversies regardless with like technology only we we've seen already Yelena Ostapenko doesn't agree with it we've seen this week with the you know the Fox 10 technology in in Madrid there's been controversies as well so I don't think that necessarily that's going to go away so I do love a challenge though Joel that is true the only thing I'll say and a good point to leave on is that when the whole crowd is clapping about whether something's in or out and the suspense of it that is definitely a good experience that that makes the moment I love seeing that oh we love it, and the <laughs> but I mean, maybe maybe that will save that for exhibitions. Yeah, well, I think it. It sounds like it's going to happen on, uh, particularly on the ATB side. So we'll have to wait and see. I mean, listeners, let us know. Are you a fan of electronic line calling? Going to be coming a tour-wide thing in 2025. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be again a polarizing issue. Um, Chris, moving on, we need to talk about Simona Halep um, because she has come out this week. In relation to her her doping case, she has been off the tour for a while now. You know, she's been suspended due to the presence of a banned blood booster, Roxa Dustat, in her system. She is getting frustrated, I think, to the point that it's now come out on social media. She said, this is the hardest battle I've ever faced. And the fact that she's having to you know, sit off the court for eight months... She probably didn't think it was going to be taking this long. Where do you stand on this? Do you have sympathy for Simona Halep or are you kind of taking a more hard-nosed stance to the situation? I think the fact that there is this sort of sit-down interview, which is, I think, clearly designed to try and put pressure Mm. um, on some of the anti-doping sort of authorities to try and fast track this I think that is something that I do think I don't particularly like because I'm not sure this does happen or would happen in the case um, of someone who didn't have a media profile Um, so I'm not such a fan of it I think I mean the nature of what we spoke about is that there has not been an explanation as to why that was found 
um, in her system. Um, and also, I mean, the nature of the way that the, the system works is that it would be a, a two-year ban even because intent does not play a role in this. So it could be a two-year ban um, or it could be a four-year ban. So I think it's the slightly, imp- slightly impatient um, sort of response and uh, nothing's going to change overnight in this case and the hearing is getting put bit pushed back, but I don't think this is a great conspiracy theory and I think um, you have to be prepared for it to take as long as it takes, unfortunately, because of the fact that they are following protocol and there hasn't been um, a reason given that would validate as to why that was in her system in a way that we have seen, you know, um, with Robert um, Fire, where he was able to um, come back to the tour very quickly whilst he was doubles number one because of a contaminated piece of meat. So I think it's not like there's been a simple explanation and therefore until there is an explanation, it's just saying this is the hardest fight. This is a matter of um, right versus wrong. I would never do this. And I think... Um, just because you've handed over the evidence doesn't mean that you are innocent. And I think that that's something which I think people need to be a bit aware aware of when it comes to this, that this is not um, black and white. Yeah, I think for me, it's a, it's a tough one. And I can understand the frustrations from her side. And I think that it's, it's annoying because she wants to get back onto the, the tennis court and um, you know, that's that's her trade. And I think we've seen situations where, you know, she's obviously not getting any younger and she's feeling the pressure of this is taking forever and this is almost kind of robbing the the twilight years of, of my career to, you know, potentially have a crack at another Grand Slam. And um, I totally un- understand that. And I would love to just, can't, can't we just kind of get a move on? But you know, I understand that there's lots of different parties involved and as a result, these things take time and they need to be done in the proper way. So we're just going to have to, unfortunately, sit tight. And I I don't think necessarily going on social media maybe was the, the right way to go about this, but it sounds like she felt she had no option. This to me is almost kind of like the nuclear option. She's been model kind of athlete so far in terms of staying silent. But um, yeah, she just felt like she can stay silent no more. And just before we finish this episode, we've got the Wimbledon spring announcement, Chris, very quickly. Um, All the updates, basically, before the championships come into town uh, later this year. Now, the most interesting things were around the fact that there's going to be more support uh, for the Ukrainian players and also the Ukrainian war effort. Um, So we're going to have the all England Club and the LTA, they're going to be funding accommodation costs of two rooms uh, for all main draw and qualifying players across the entirety of the grass court season. They're also going to be offered opportunities to practice um, at the All England Club's courts um, and at Surbiton as well. So, yeah, there's going to be more support for you Ukrainians. And I feel like they had to show this given the kind of almost appeasement um, that Russians and Belarusians will be allowed back into the into the tour um do you have any have any views i feel like it all it all sort of makes sense there's nothing truly groundbreaking i think you know coming out but um yeah i think it's nice to see that they have they're going to be showing even more support than than they have done yeah i think that's obviously well received especially um kind of making sure that these players who obviously um, having a very difficult time at the moment are also kind of being able to be supported and have people there who support them without it being at an additional cost to them. I think it's um, a positive thing. Um, I think the gentleman's doubles format, I think is probably mm. at a point where it's a shame to see 
that drop but I do think the nature of the game is think that people probably would prefer to see that and I think that will be well received in that sense um but no I think it's very much a case that it's um it's 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 a lot of it's expected pleasant news on the front on the front of the Ukrainian support and um yeah, I look forward to seeing some really interesting third sets mm, and some doubles. Exactly. We'll we'll have to wait and see. But um, we've got the rest of Madrid, obviously, to come. I've already seen Maria Sakkari after I've been singing her praises. It's down a set now to uh, to Begu of uh, Romania. We've got Zapata, Morales and Sissipas still to come. And then tomorrow we've got Pagula Kudometova, Alcaraz Kachinov. Sviontek Martic and Altmaier Trorich um, in the quarterfinals. I mean, what's your what are you what are you looking out for in those matches? Any any of the interesting matchups? Yeah, I mean there are some pretty interesting Is ones. Is it Altmaier versus Trorich? I mean, I think <laughs> I can't see Trorich coming through that. I honestly think his worst nightmare might be a lucky loser. Mm. Um, I think he does prefer sort of like the upset situation. Um, but no, I, I'm I'm very pleased to see Petra Martic into the quarterfinals mm. I think she's a great player um, and I think she's someone who plays a great game on clay so I think that hopefully that will be an entertaining one against Eager but I do think that Eager will come through um, I'm thinking looking at the predictions that maybe I've not done too bad a job though Joel I mean you've certainly done better than me because I was thinking Runa with a victory uh, which has obviously not happened he and, uh, was very tired you did write that in brackets yeah. there Joel I'll give it to you though he yeah. is knackered is what you wrote so. I also had Bedosa and, and Garcia in my second semi-final for the women so that's not looking too good but um, yeah it's uh, I don't want to brag though Joel because technically all of my predictions for the women's could still yeah, come through could. with an eager Pagula I mean, Sabalenka Sakari expecting a Sviontek Sabalenka showdown again like we had in Stuttgart in the final I, I am indeed I am indeed I'm also expecting Sitsipas to make it through um, I did have Fritz he's just gone out um, mm. I think a few of us had Fritz but oh, this Madrid Open I've got to be completely honest I think you it, just want it over it and done with I'm looking forward to Rome. Um, I'm looking forward to the second week of Rome, maybe. But I think it's um, not quite had the the fireworks that I was hoping for. And I think the lack of the lack of big names, I think, mm. is is the issue for me here. Can't help the feeling that they've lost the presence of players like Djokovic and Nadal. I mean, understandably so. So um, yeah. We'll have to see. Yeah, I'm sure there's going to be more drama to come. But uh, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode of the Tennis Weekly podcast. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action to come from the ATP and WTA tours. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all major podcasting platforms out there. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on social media or email the show. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Tennis Weekly Pod. You can email the show at tennisweeklypod at gmail.com or check out our website tennisweekly.co.uk. And we will be back next Monday at Tennis Weekly HQ for another tour catch up looking back on the finals of the Madrid Open. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon.